You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 55, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, man, Mike. Every day is a good day to be alive, especially when the Philadelphia Eagles are alive in the playoffs. Carolina loses to New Orleans, and now I've officially convinced myself the Eagles are going to make the playoffs for like the fifth time this year. I love it. Before we get to that, I want to talk about something that happened to us. I did want to give out a shout to a loyal BGN listener. Oh, classic listener to the podcast. Longtime listener. Michael Buffer. He chimed in on the three words that we do for the recap show with the quote, oh my God, unquote. Thank you for that, Michael. We appreciate it. Also, Asante Samuel dropped in on my timeline today saying that the Eagles cornerbacks had some work to do, but they'll get it together. So, Ben, all the stars are out here for the BGN Radio Gala event. It's been a fun day on the timeline. I think it probably speaks to my my age and my areas of interest. I was more psyched about Asante than I was about Michael Buffer. But generally speaking, I really enjoy the fact that now that we've <laughs> exposed Mike Grow as a listener to the podcast, uh, all these other famous listeners are willing to come out of the woodwork and say, yeah, we're, we're with you, Mike Grow. We also love the podcast. So shout out to you, James Earl Jones. Shout out to you, President <laughs> Carter. Shout out to you. Um, I don't know. What's one of those cool people that has like just one name? Bono. Shout out Bono. Seal. Yep, Seal. <laughs> Appreciate all you guys hanging out all the time. Absolutely. So, Ben, as you mentioned at the top here, we got some help last night from the Saints as they end up beating the Panthers. Poor yeah. Cam Newton's shoulder looks destroyed. He didn't throw a single pass over 17 yards in the air. But, again, good for the Eagles that the Saints win a close one. There is multiple ways now for the Eagles to get in this thing, in this playoff race. And, really, they aren't even out of the NFC East title hunt, which we thought was 100% dead a little bit ago. But the yeah. Eagles went out, and they have up to a 75% chance of getting into the playoffs. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, so as of right now on 538's playoff odds calculator, which basically uses ELO ratings to predict the outcome of the football games that will be played. Uh, they do like, you know, a thousand times to get a percentage. Because Carolina lost to New Orleans, the Eagles have a 75% chance of making the playoffs if 
they win both of their remaining games. So obviously, three-fourths of their playoff destiny is in their control, which right. two games ago was 100%. Uh, now, you know, they lost the Cowboys. Now it's 75%. But hey, it's a lot better than it could have been. Uh, and the win over the Rams is a big part of that. So Philly beats uh, Houston at, or excuse me, in Philadelphia, and then beats Washington in Washington. And they will uh, have a 75% chance of making the playoffs. If they win both of those games, Mike, they make the playoffs if one of three things happens. Right. Firstly, the most likely, uh, is that the Vikings lose at least one of their following two games. The Vikings are uh, on the road against Detroit, and then they are at home against Chicago. The Chicago Week 17 game is a mighty tricky one, because Chicago will likely be playing for seeding. And so if you say, oh, well, they're playing for seeding, clearly they're going to start their starters because you want to be a higher seed. Well, if you can predict the uh, the seed you would play, you might prefer to be a lower seed sometimes you know mm. and so chicago could be at a point where they're deciding whether like you know if if minnesota loses if minnesota wins that game the eagles can't make the playoffs what if chicago's the third seed and they're basically picking the sixth seed if minnesota loses it's the eagles if minnesota wins it's the vikings well they might pick the vikings to see in the playoffs and so they might rest their starters so even though like seeding is is, is going to be a factor for the the bears uh, there's still a good chance that they potentially sit their starters. So really, it's lower than 75%. But the Vikings, if they go 1-1 one and one or worse, so hey, let's root for Detroit, freaking whatever, yeah. uh, in Week 16. And the Vikings lose one and the Eagles went out. Boom, there you go. Other scenarios, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, who are currently ahead of Philadelphia, if they lose to the Chiefs and the Cardinals, their final two games, both at home, and the Eagles went out, the Eagles make the playoffs. Of course, losing to the Chiefs is possible. Losing to the Cardinals at home at Week 17 with the playoffs on the line... Yeah. Would be interesting. Uh, that would be, uh, man, don't see that happening. Uh, and then last but not least, if the Eagles win out, they will be, as they currently are, a game and a half, technically, uh, two games behind the Cowboys. They're, they're a game behind the Cowboys. So uh, the Cowboys would need to lose out with the remainder of their schedule, which, of course, is the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then is the New York Giants. They have the Buccaneers at home, and they are in New York for the Giants games. Two teams that the Cowboys should be, I'm doing mm. air quotes, but... The Buccaneers kind of look good sometimes for some reason, and the Giants have been playing much better recently. Also, the Cowboys just got shut out by the Colts because the Cowboys aren't actually good. So there's those are the those are the three things you're looking for. So you're rooting against the Seahawks, against the Vikings, and against the Cowboys. Obviously, the Eagles have to win out. There's still like an outside shot that they uh, they could lose to Houston and like make it if like five billion things happen. Right. Really, those are the three you're looking at: a win out, and then Vikings against Bears week 17 is really the big one that you think. That could be the one where it brings the Eagles into the playoffs. Can you imagine a world in which in the last three weeks of the season, the Seattle Seahawks drop games to the San Francisco 49ers who are projected to pick third right now in the NFL draft and then drop one to the Arizona Cardinals, who, if I'm not mistaken, are projected to pick first in the NFL draft. That would be a mighty, mighty class. I'm not banking on it. Right. But. I mean, listen, I I, I, can't, I couldn't tell you the year, but there was that one year that like Chicago beat Tampa and some other team beat somebody else and the Eagles snuck in as a wild card when like three things happened. I think Houston was also involved. I don't know. I was like 10 at the time. So crazier <laughs> things have happened. And Seattle is a team that is so weird to figure out because their, mo- their methods of success are so different than most currently good teams. Like the, the, the Seahawks are like, listen, like, how often are we legally allowed to run the football? Which is, like, not how you win in 2018. And yet they're still, they're like 8, 5, 8, and 6, you know, and they're still very competitive and successful, obviously. But then they lose, like, games like that to the Niners. So you wonder. Obviously, the Cardinals don't have Kyle Shanahan, big trump card. Um, but if if the Seahawks lose to the Chiefs, then even if the Vikings do beat the Lions, which we expect, 
the Eagles will go into Week 17 with two avenues to the playoffs. The Vikings lost to the Bears, or a Seahawks lost to the Cardinals, assuming they do beat the Josh Johnson-led Redskins, which, oh, Nelly, if that game <laughs> even gets remotely interesting, I'm going to kill everything. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's get to the main topic of this show here, as always. During this time of the week, we look back at the game that we just played where we beat the Rams. I don't know if you noticed. Man, I don't know about you. I feel like we were in such shock after that game that we may not have relayed the excitement in which we have about the season now. Just a massive, massive win for this team. So let's talk about it. And Ben, I want to start this off right away. I want to flip the flip the tables on you. I have a take. Oh, oh my, it was the take smack. Let me hear it, my good friend. Against the Rams, Avanti Maddox had the best individual game for an Eagles cornerback in our two years doing this together. Do you agree with that? For an Eagles corner? Okay, you're asking me to remember games in 2017, which is the silliest thing in the world. I can't tell you what I had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) I will say, and and, and I, I tweeted this out right before the show because it was something I wanted to bring up with Maddox, so I'll bring it here. The number one skill of Avante Maddox, who was very quick and was, was lauded for his quickness, who was very instinctive and was lauded for his instinctiveness. The number one skill of Avante Maddox, which showed up so often on tape, Maddox initiates contact with wide receivers. He does not wait for wide receivers to come into his frame and dictate where they would like to go. All f- five feet and 10 inches of Avante Maddox, <laughs> five nine or whatever he is, yeah. all 185 pounds of his skinny little T-Rex arms, 29 and a half inches. He comes up and gets in your frame. He is going to tell you, you know, this is the space that's available to you. This space over here is not. And that's yeah. huge because all those throws I was trashing Jared Goff for in the near red zone where he was trying to pick on Josh Reynolds, 6'3", versus Maddox, 5'9". And I was saying, man, Goff's really overthrowing these. Well, Reynolds was losing the red line. We talk about the red line halfway between the top of the numbers and the sideline. The red line is the line on which you want to stay as a wide receiver because it leaves space outside of you towards the sideline. So if the corner's got inside leverage, well, the quarterback can drop the ball in that bucket between the red line and the sideline, and you'll have space there. Reynolds kept losing the red line because Maddox came up and hit him in the jaw, hit him in the teeth. Five foot nine. I loved it. So Maddox, and it's, and it's, it's great teaching tape for what to look for as, as a fan of the game and then for, you know, corners for coming out in college and whatever, like learning about the game. Five yards is the contact window. If you're smart, you can get away with it even less or outside of it. We call it getting connected, right? You got to get connected physically so you, you're in the same space. Maddox does that fantastically. And it was something that he was working on in camp. Corey Unlin uh, in red zone drills was yelling at him because he wouldn't get connected. Yes. I remember it. I had clips of it up on my timeline. So fantastic from Maddox to see that from him. That's why he was so successful to me. I love to see it. I'm not sure I'm ready to go on that take because I just can't remember enough games. But it does stand out as really a hallmark performance. Yeah, and you mentioned that in the red zone. I actually put a piece up in uh, on Bleeding Green Nation during the preseason where he struggled with that catch technique against Chris Hogan. So to see that improvement is great. Yes. Let me sell you on this take. 57 coverage snaps, 6 targets, 1 catch. Eight yards, one interception, 0.0 QB rating, 0.0, Ben. Goff would have well, been better um, throwing it into just, the stance. If you could remind me real quick, is is uh, is uh, is that good? Mike, yes. is that good? It's quite, yeah, that's it's good. Quite that might be good. Yeah. And, and, and no missed tackles. Three for three tackling Todd Gurley solo by himself, including the one at the end of the game. That kept Gurley inbounds. Right. I can't illustrate to you enough, like talking about the initiating contact thing. 
Reynolds runs a little like eight yard curl, a little eight yard comeback, right? Just like out there, like kind of like not dogging it, but he clearly like isn't like a huge like you know potential target. Maddox comes up and chucks him in the back, yeah. right? Maddox comes yeah. and nails him, and I don't even know if Maddox knows the ball's going to Gurley yet. But Maddox like, listen, this is the end of the game. We might win this thing. I'm, this is a no reps off situation, my good friend. So he nails him, and. I don't think Gurley had a good route to the end zone. I think Gurley still should have gone out of bounds. I think Gurley still should have gotten the first down. But without Maddox playing like the ball was coming his way and this tackle was huge and they had a timeout, he could have stayed in bounds. Like without him playing with that, like, you know, coach's favorite kind of like lunch pail attitude, Maddox is not in a position to make that tackle. He's on an active physical tackling position with great leverage to keep Gurley in bounds. So, like, because Maddox went through the motions the way he was supposed to with, with full energy and with full effort, he ends up making a huge hallmark play, and that's a lot of what Avatomatics brings, that physicality, that effort, that doggedness. Man, uh, I'm, dude, I remember, like, at, we talked about Sweat, because we both like Josh Sweat, talked about Dallas Goddard, love Dallas Goddard. Obviously, uh, my lot was a fun guy to talk about. Maddox, Maddox, best player out of the class so far, and y'all know I'm a Goddard fan, but Maddox, dude, crazy. Avante Maddox was the best player on the field for either team on Sunday. And no, Fletcher Cox did not die. He played fantastic as well. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Fletcher Cox literally buried Justin Sullivan or John Sullivan and Austin Blythe. Both of them are still dead at this point. It was unbelievable. Look, I'm just saying, you want to talk about fighting above your weight. 224 pounds is Todd Gurley. 6'3", Josh Reynolds, like you mentioned. Maddox was the definition of that against the Rams. That interception against that blaze out against Reynolds, that was gorgeous technique. Was that a blaze out? Yeah, you, you could actually hear Goff go blaze out, blaze out, blaze out like three different times to Reynolds. Reynolds widens. And then he kind of flattens, but you see Corey Grand there on the All-22. I didn't see it on the broadcast, but on the All-22, you can see Corey Grand there. He's kind of taken away that post stem. So Reynolds gets into the out a little bit early, and that allows Maddox to kind of stick with it right there. So he was going for a blaze route there. He didn't run it perfect. Yeah, I was about to say, if that's a blaze, that blaze sucks. Yeah, it was not It was not a great blaze. I think he cut it off short because Graham is there. We should, we should clarify. Blaze out route was a route that the McVay uh, Shanahan tree loves, which if you know a post corner, right, you get like 12 yards of depth. You fake the post a couple steps, and then you run a corner route. A blaze out is 12 steps depth. You, you fake the, the post. But instead of breaking to a corner, you break to an out route. So that angle is even steeper. It's even sharper, and you go, you go flat into the sideline it's very difficult for corners with outside leverage to handle because of the the hairpin nature of that break playing quarters which philadelphia did a lot and with great success against the rams maddox is able to sit outside on that like mike said Corey graham who's playing the near quarter takes away that post opportunity uh and that's what lets maddox stay in position he gets connected uh, he's able to physically disrupt reynolds and then the ball is inaccurate enough Maddox makes a tough catch. Yeah, and I want to talk about this defensive deployment by Jim Schwartz in a second. But the other one that I wanted to highlight for Maddox, and then we'll move on because we spent a lot of time on it. So did Jim Schwartz today. Jim Schwartz spent the whole, what, first three and a half minutes talking about Maddox at his press conference. But the third and 11 first drive of the game for the Rams, he's playing that flat zone in the cover three cloud. He leveraged his zone perfectly. Yeah, early play, pass breakup. Yeah, it was beautiful. So we're not talking about a freak occurrence, tip ball, plays coming, you know, he gets a, he gets a gift. We're talking high-level play for 60 minutes, tackling, coverage, you know, to the point where Schwartz trusted him one-on-one for the last play of the game. And game ball, which I gave to Maddox, doesn't do it justice, Ben. And I wrote this up, game ball piece for bleedinggreennation.com. Go check it out, gentle listener. But Ben, right. the best individual game for a cornerback last two years since we've been doing this together, for sure. I'll let you have it because I'll put it to you this way. It's very new and it's very fun and it's very exciting. 
to talk about a very strong individual performance from playing the secondary. One of the last time we did that, pretty sure it was week one Rodney McLeod. And then what did he do? He went and yeah. got himself injured. So Mattis has already missed three games. Uh, let's hope that this is not the death knell. But great job in the secondary, buddy. Stay healthy. So, Ben, we know that the Rams like attacking with jet motion and play action with intermediate and deep routes. And you mentioned some of the quarters coverage deployments already. But early on, I saw some shifting from the linebackers against jet motion that got the Rams some advantageous angles in the run game. But overall, this defense stayed pretty static against it. They weren't chasing guys around across the formation, uh, which followed the, the model of the Lions and the Bears, which I detailed on a piece for BGN. But against play action and really in general, it turns out the scheme that the, we've criticized so much in regard to the depth in which our corners align and all the short stuff that we give up, it, it turns out that was the perfect plan against the Rams. In fact, they've been preparing for this all along. <laughs> the long con by Schwartz, right? You can see Schwartz on the sidelines at time telling his secondary, get back even further. Go even further. You could see him on the sidelines shouting for them to move back. So Doug Farrar, shout out Doug, wrote about it for Touchdown Wire. And it's a great piece talking about how the Eagles were doing this, not just on third down, but on first and second down as well. And it took Goff off of his primary read and it forced his, his primary read to be a little bit later than it would usually be. So it forced him to think his way through his progressions. And when you mix that with the pressure that the Eagles were able to apply, the yes. end result was a handful of throwaways for Goff. And really, he just looked confused back there. And I said this on 97.5, the Fanatic on Monday, about how pressure impacted Goff. And Ben, you know the stat already because you saw this, but for the gentle listeners, under pressure, Jared Goff was 7 for 16, 52 yards, an interception, and a quarterback rating of 26 Point zero. And I know you're going to ask, is that good? Ben, it is not. <laughs> oh, that's not good. Okay, good. I, I wasn't sure whether or not it was good. So I'm glad that uh, you've clarified that really freaking sucks. The, it comes down to me, and, and we said with the pressure, it comes down to me when you're trying to beat a wide zone, when you're trying to prevent a team from being able to run wide, run wide zone on there you constantly. <laughs> Even a team like... Los Angeles, who loves to immediately bend it up inside. You need to be able to have a strong side end who can anchor against that and can cut off the flow to the outside. You can't get stretched on stretch zone, right? You can't get uh, just be into the outside. So again, for the 95th podcast in a row, <laughs> they got Michael Bennett for a fifth round pick! For Ooh. a fifth round pick! And he was unbelievably staunch and, and proactive as a five technique, as a six technique, getting upfield and generating a, 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 a inflection point, generating a point of contact at which it was basically daring Gurley, listen, either belly out, gain a lot of depth, go backwards to get around me, or cut upfield where my buddies are. Like, these are your options. The Rams do not want to bounce. They want right. to cut back, yeah. No, so the Ram that's why I said, like, even against a team that runs wide zone like the Rams, uh, which they don't want to be really bringing you outside. They want to stretch yeah. you to come up field on you. Even right. then, what Bennett does is he very quickly prevents Gurley from taking the path that goes wide, which right. is what forces your defense into over-pursuing, which is what allows him to get upfield on that big cutback, right? Like when he gives you those three play side steps to get upfield, well, Bennett immediately anchors and holds down that spot. And then Gurley's immediately got to come upfield. The defensive tackle play, you know, as we said, Fletcher Cox, absolutely stellar. Trayvon Hester had a better game than usual, which was nice yeah. to see. Haloni not had a good game. Bruce Hector's not good. 
Uh, but <laughs> even like even with Hector and uh, even with Hector and Hester in there at the same time, which is the thing that happened, which is terrifying. You were still able to get enough interior disruption so as to prevent Gurley from having just that cannon, right? Just that that alleyway right up the middle. And then it becomes a matter of how good is your pursuit play. And the Eagles, uh, a team six and seven that desperately needed a win, played in pursuit like you'd expect. And it Brandon Graham and Michael and Malcolm Jenkins, who have been the two best pursuit players for Philadelphia forever, both showed out in huge ways in pursuit. I thought Cravon LeBlanc also was very strong in pursuit. Dare I say it, Michael? Thought Corey Graham deserved a bit of commendation for how firstly he played every single he played listen if you if you were like hey man Corey graham's gonna play every single snap at free safety against los angeles rams are the eagles gonna win the game i'd have been like no Corey graham who was effective closing downhill from his free safety position there was a lot a very good rally to the football they prevented Gurley from being able to get into outside space which as we've discussed was not the, the primary goal for the rams but in doing so, they still were able to keep the inside congested enough because of the singularly great play of Michael Bennett and then also Chris Long and Brandon Graham when, when zone came their way. Uh, because of that singularly strong play, it took one player to prevent the stretch from occurring, which allowed the other six, seven guys in the box to really play their roles, to play gap sound. Yeah, like you said, especially early, they were able to hit a few on them. But really, overall, you were able to get some significant TFLs, which puts Goff behind the sticks, which allows you to dial up pressure. Eagles defense, especially against the run, and we've talked about this, the Jim Schwartz defense, we say it's predicated on pressure. To me, it's always been predicated on box count. It's predicated on being number one in the box and stopping the run. They did that very well against the Rams, and the defense was able to win on schedule like you'd expect the Jim Schwartz defense to do. What I also liked is you could tell because with the the play action, what you're getting is you're getting those linebackers to suck up. If you're playing deep coverage like the Eagles like to play, that creates a significant gulf in between that second layer and the third layer of the defense. And you can tell that the linebackers were told, do not suck up. Get oh, back no, into your zone. So that was fantastic. It was it was, it was was one of those examples of, we're facing a fantastic offense. Well, okay. We're going to force them to throw everything within five yards. Mm. And we're going to force them to nickel and dime us. We're going to try to keep away their big plays. Which, as I said, kind of in the post-game show, I have no idea why... The Rams didn't take more deep one-on-one shots. I'll tell you why. The Eagles spent a lot more time in quarters and a lot less time in cover three than they usually do. Which they had to do. That was the Lions formula. Right. That was the Bears formula too. Makes Same sense. Makes sense. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. we're going to force you into checkdowns, which Goff was very quick to his checkdowns, especially under pressure. And then we're going to rally to the football and tackle, which again, another situation where if you're like, hey, the Eagles are going to beat the Rams because they're going to rally and tackle against short passing plays, you would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but listen, they played like a team in desperate need of a win. And yeah. you mentioned the tackling of Vontae Maddox. Rasul Douglas can Ooh, tackle. Rasul, you, yeah. Dude, <laughs> I forgot what it was like to have big physical corners. And now I remember they can hit people. Sewell, man. Sewell came up and put a lick on a few people. LeBlanc had a good hit, too. LeBlanc is playing some decent football. We, we've said it a couple of times now. It's it's good to have a I'm guy. Not a, can... I'm not as big on LeBlanc as y'all. I think LeBlanc is like a depth rosterable dude. I don't think he's huge or anything. But yeah. I'm like, not saying he's a ball. starter. But he's been right. a much better player than Devontae Bosby and Shannon Sullivan. I'll put it to you that way. I think. Well, you yes, I, 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 you will never ever hear an argument from me on that. <laughs> so, Ben, before we flip it over to the offensive side of the ball, I would now like to apologize to Jim Schwartz, and I'll end this segment. Here it comes with a great quote from from the Doug Farrar piece because it's perfect in contextualizing Goff's 339 yards passing, which looked great in a box score. Farrar says that Goff, quote, wasn't able to take 
anything the Eagles defense didn't want to give him, unquote. Yeah. He's exactly right. That's a great point by Doug Farrar. So, Ben, this game was won in the trenches on both sides. The defensive line took care of their business, pressuring Goff, holding Todd Gurley to 48 yards on 12 carries. And then the offensive side of the ball, Nick Foles was pressured under 22% of the time. And what you saw was a serious emphasis on making sure that Aaron Donald wasn't going to wreck the game for us. And really, it was in the run game, too. Donald only had one solo tackle and one assist for the day. Only two pressures. Only one quarterback. It's one of his least productive games in the past, like, two years. And I'm pretty surprised that the Rams didn't try to influence, like, that center slide by mugging with the linebacker, getting him up. You know, pre-snap on the center or do more overloading to that side. But, what you know, there's that comes with drawbacks, too. But overall, on the day, the Eagles ranked first in pro football focuses, pass blocking efficiency metric as a unit for week 15. Lane Johnson, no pressures. Jason Peters, two pressures. Wisniewski, no pressures. Brandon Brooks, one pressure. Jason Kelsey, only one pressure. I will take that kind of performance from the offensive line all day it was as simple as oh they've got a really good defensive line defensive tackle let's trap the ever-living bejesus out of him which is what the eagles have done against really good defensive tackles for basically peterson's entire tenure there was no reason to expect otherwise i know we did not get an opportunity to do our preview show because of baby augustus and because i was traveling whatever but you know i'm just gonna safely assume we would have talked about it because we always talk about every single time they trapped everyone but Jesus and Aaron Donald, the poor dude. They're trapping him with Dallas Gar. They're trapping him out of everybody. And abs- yeah, no, you absolutely had the offensive line who I think turned in a stellar performance two weeks ago against Washington. Yes. Great performance we uh, one week ago against Dallas. Mm-hmm. Great performance last night against the Rams. There's this narrative that like, uh, you know, it was easier for the offensive line to protect because the ball comes out for quicker for Nick Foles. And I don't have the exact time to throw. I don't know if you do. Oh, do you? Nick Foles, and this is not normal for him because he's average, on average, he's a tick slower than Wentz. But Nick Foles led all quarterbacks, according to PFF, with time to throw at 2.19 seconds. Sports Info Solutions, right. going to a second source, also had him as the second fastest. 75% of the time under 2.5 seconds, that also led the league. That's three out of every four dropbacks. 20 for 24 right. when it was under 2.5 seconds. And I will, I, I will tell you, number one, why I think that's the case. And number two... Why that makes Alshon Jeffrey have a bigger game. And number three, uh uh-huh, big one. And number three, why, yes, this is a thing that Nick Foles does better than Carson Wentz that's helping the offense. Are you ready? I am fully ready for this. Let's go. If Foles sees an advantageous matchup to his backside wide receiver before the snap, he takes it. A lot. Yeah. Right? And so it's Alshon is one-on-one with Aqib Tlaib. I've got... You know, a full-on route concept happening front side. I've got three receivers. I got to check down. I've got potential this that coverage. I've got man. I could get this rubber. I could get this. No, Foles is gonna go, drop back on his back foot. He's gonna throw the ball to Alshon Jeffrey. You know what I mean? He did this so frequently where it was just I like this pre-snap matchup. Mm. I'm gonna drop back and I'm gonna hit it. And we even we've criticized Carson for being a little bit too reliant on his pre-snap matchup, but that very often is where he's looking at pre-snap alignment of safeties. He's looking at what he thinks is like the the potential zone coverage, the potential match coverage he's getting. And then he's deciding where he wants to go in the route combination. What I'm talking about is slightly different, where you've got Jeffrey just running what what basically is like an alert fade, an alert go, an alert something. And then you've got an action play side. I shouldn't just say Jeffrey. He did this with Golden Tate once. He did this with with Zach Ertz a couple of times, which, oh, wow, he threw the ball to Zach Ertz. Uh, You know, so, so yeah. And I even think probably it got called more for Foles, which makes sense because what is a strength a veteran is going to have over a, a younger quarterback? It's going to be coverage recognition and the ability to diagnose pre-snap. And even for Carson, who's smart in that regards, Foles got him 
at least be in the willingness to take those shots when they get given to him. Like, like I think there are situations, like there was like a, uh, a an early go route to Alshon, picked up like 24 yeah. or something, where I would not have been surprised to have seen Carson Wentz drop back and try to read the combination. It was a third down, and he had Golden Tate on a, like a second in-breaking follow concept or whatever. And yeah, like that's probably going to open up. So Carson's going to look at it, he wants to run the, the concept. Foles is just going to say, I'm just going to throw it up there for Alshon because we have the one-on-one matchup and Alshon's that sort of a dude. So that brings down your time to throw. That gets Alshon more involved in the offense because he's getting lined up as this backside alert receiver who can win one-on-one man matchups. He's your best man beater at wide receiver. And then number three, uh, it's something that we saw the offense be more effective because the Eagles were able to hit on a lot of those alerts. Now, those alerts kind of have the character of being 50-50 to them. Right. You know, do you always hit on them the extent to which you did against the Rams? No. But... That, that that's my explanation for all of those kind of observations that people have had. And it's an interesting point because it definitely hit and you wonder if that's sticky game to game. That's the that's the fire that you're playing with. However, I will say I was impressed with Foles and, and the point that you made about that nine route, that 26-yard nine route by Alshon Jeffrey. At first when I watched it, I thought he saw Jeffrey stack to lead and then throw it. He was anticipating Jeffrey to beat him. Oh, he no. threw that thing before he was stacked. It's back foot throw. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's simply and it's it's you want to say like, oh, are they trying to keep him from processing post snap? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think it's like it was very you know who it was reminiscent of? It was Ryan Fitzpatrick against us and against the Saints. It was see the matchup, throw the matchup. I love that. I love that, Mike. I like it's just like it's it's like listen. I am aware that I'm probably not super great. Like, okay, like we'll start there. Like we love to make fun of Foles as like backing up into pressure, right? Like Foles, whenever he sees pressure, he just backs up. So Foles is probably not super strong again, like going to his second or his third read. He enters a little bit of a panic phase. We know Foles is not king escapability. Nuh-uh-uh. That is with, nope. And even like Carson, injured Carson, is much better of an escape player than, uh, than, than Foles is. And so what you've got with Foles is, all right, if I'm going to get this high percentage of a throw, whatever Philadelphia calls Alshon one-on-one, it's a 60-40 ball against Tlaib. I'm just going to take, I'm going to throw that ball 10 times so I can get it six times. You know what I mean? Like, and this goes back to what we've been talking about with Carson in terms of Carson's trying to do too much. Well, sometimes you can only get 60% of the way there. Sometimes you, like you as the quarterback, you have the ball in your hands, you're the franchise, whatever. You can only do so much of the job. And so, you know, you're trying to read the progression and get this guy open, and you can hang in the pocket and wait for him to uncover, and you can extend the play, and you can fit the ball into a tight window. Sometimes just let the other dude make a play. And so that's why I say, like, you know, you know, the kind of the joke, like, Foles and Fitzpatrick, we know we're not that great. They know what they are, and they know what they're capable of, and and especially because they've started, and they've started started in the playoffs, they've started in high-stress situations, and they've started on bad teams. They know just what it's like to just get enough as a quarterback to make sure your team can win, and they're not going to push and try to do more than that, potentially get into bad situations. The number one thing Foles did against the Rams, the number one best thing he did, was the Eagles did not get put into bad situations. He had the, right. the turnover, uh, he had the interception, the keeps to leave one on the Zach Ertz throw. And simply when you watch that, the Eagles come out and it's a two-by-two two set. It's something that they've used many, many times in uh, in the red zone. It's one of their common formations. It's an outbreaker to Zach Ertz and Tlaib just sits underneath it and robs it. It's right. just good t- tape study by a veteran corner which we're talking about veterans and the ability to know what's going on right now. So it kind of fits. Uh, but generally, you know, we're not talking about Carson's silly fumbles. We're not talking about right. sacks that could have been avoided, which, you know, goes back to time to throw and the good performance of the offensive line. And we're, and we're talking about Alshon Jeffrey having a great day. It simply comes back to Foles was 
not going to do anything to tank the team, and he knows w- enough of what to do to keep the team going. And this is why I said in the post game show, and it's very evident from the film, when they got behind the sticks, literally nothing was going to happen, right? Like, right. if you're Houston watching this game, you're like, all right, on first and 10, we're bringing six. Yeah. And if we get a TFL or a sack, they're punting two plays later. Right. They have no big plays, really, with Foles back there. Obviously, they had some. But, like, they have no, like, you know, ability to get back ahead of the sticks on, yeah. on second and long. Four right? for There's 14 no... on money downs, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. And so that's kind of what the response you'll see. And we'll see will the offensive line step up to that. Will there be more screens, whatever. Uh, you know, however that ends up sussing itself out, you got to yeah. be prepared. And we can talk about that in the preview shows. But Foles just didn't. Yeah, he was smart enough not to deliver, deliver a death knell to his team. And he was smart enough to know when he had a matchup that was good enough to just throw it. And, event, and enough of those hit that the Eagles beat the Rams. And if you beat the Rams, you can beat a lot of teams in this league. And so this is this is where the Eagles are right now with Nick Foles. He's a, I don't want to say this. It's going to come back to bite me if I say this. He's a known quantity, which yeah. he's not. He's Nick Foles. He's the greatest roller coaster of all time. His passer rating <laughs> chart is the most inexplicable thing on the face of the planet. But... but he he's he is clearly confident and he's calibrated and he understands his limitations i love that ryan fitzpatrick comparison i think that's great so yeah and as we talk about this you know what's refreshing to me talking about this with you everyone who listens to this show and everyone who interacts with us on twitter i think they know where we stand when it comes to ranking who we would rather have at quarterback carson wentz or nick Foles. We just spent the last maybe eight minutes talking about Nick Foles, what he can bring to the team. Knowing that we know, knowing what you know about us, gentle listener, knowing how we rank these quarterbacks, we didn't spend the entire eight minutes trying to make it look like Wentz was better than Foles. We talk about the strengths, we talk about the weaknesses, we talk about it honestly, because that's what we need right now. Now, Ben, this one is funny. This one is interesting to me as kind of a side note. I put up a poll about that Foles prayer. That was hauled in by Jeffrey, the 50-yarder. So if you want to dig into this at home, if you're following along, open your books to the third quarter, 11-14 left. I want your opinion on this, Ben, before I tell you the results. Who do you think Foles is throwing to on this? Because there's a couple concepts in play here that might impact his progression or where his eyes go. On the right side, you've got two vertical routes, and it's kind of like a a, a Zorro concept. And what I know about that is the first read. A Zorro concept, Michael? (laughs) Explain, please. So the first read on a Zorro concept, you're going to get those two vertical routes. But what Aguilar can do down the scene there is he can adjust his route based on the leverage, which he does. He gets that safety coming his way. He crosses the face of the deep safety, but it takes him a while to get there. Next to him, it looks like Jeffrey knows that he's just there to hold the outside corner. And underneath, you've got not quite a drive concept because they're happening on different sides of the formation. It's a different route, but a similar type deal where... Ertz is cutting across to the right and got it from the other side is running a shallow route moving the same way. So just based on Foles' feet, and this is what I'm looking at here, the fact that he gets hit and can't fully follow through on his throwing motion and based on the route concepts and Aguilar crossing the face of the safety, if I'm understanding the Zorro concept correctly or, or a, a similar concept to it, I think he's throwing to Aguilar but it drifts to Jeffrey. What do you think? I have no idea who he's throwing the ball to. Could not, <laughs> could not even possibly tell you. Number one, I, if I, to me looking at this, and I maybe it's my Carson Wentz goggles. Me looking at this entire route concept, I think it's meant to uncover Zach Ertz. To be very frank, who goes? He's got that deep sit route, that deep over route. He would be the That's second read. Yeah. This ball going to? I agree. I'll, I'll put it this way. I agree that given their the action of their routes and 
the way the coverage adjusts to it, that Aguilar looks like to be the guy who you would probably be hitting on this throw. Uh, I'm very fine with the fact that anybody, Aljon <laughs> Jeffrey especially, is the one who ended up with it. It's very funny. Aguilar had to be very, like, Aguilar had to get out of Jeffrey's way. Like, Aguilar basically had to be like, yes, Alshon, take these stats. <laughs> or like he was incomplete. Because Aguilar had a better initial angle on it, to be very frank. Uh, so I don't really know particularly. All I know is I need I need to read up on the Zorro concept. I ain't never heard of this nonsense before. I'll send you the uh, I'll send you the play. It's in the Shanahan playbook. I went through like a thousand plays, and of course, it was like the last concept that I looked at. Yeah, it starts with Z. Highly unfortunate. So the poll, people, there's there's seven hours left on this poll. Thirty five percent think he was going to Nelson Aguilar. Thirty percent think he was going to Alshon Jeffrey. Thirty five percent both. So we don't even know. <laughs> we can't agree. I mean, this is like, you know, if he's even, he's leaving, and they were both right. even, and I couldn't really <laughs> see anything because Indomitian Sue? Indomitian Sue, yeah. Indomitian Sue was right in front of me. So I'm going to just throw it. And look, I, I don't care either way. This isn't a trash, Foles. I just think it's funny that the longest play of the game for the Eagles came on something where you don't even know where Foles is throwing. He just sees two open guys and just chucks it and it's takes the, a shot. I mean, it's the folsiest thing that's ever happened. To it's the folsiest thing, brother. Oh, it's just uh, anything... the folsiest thing. Sorry, that's really funny to me. <laughs> anything else you want to touch on with this All-22 film review before we shut shop on this show and start to pivot towards the next shows, which will be obviously previewing the Houston Texans game upcoming? Mike, you should already know what it is I want to touch on. Oh, boy. I don't. I, I, I've failed you as a friend. 12 personnel. Wow. Uh, okay. Okay. He put the fingers Mike, up. I didn't guess. Three touchdown runs. Ask me what personnel they were in on every single touchdown run. Ask me, ask me, ask me. I don't need to ask you because I charted this game the morning after and I can are tell you, really, you. Are you really going to take away this moment from me right now? Are you really? Like, I told you to ask <laughs> me like four times and you're just going to. Oh, well, I charted it because I'm Mike and I figure out what sleeve Dallas Goddard's wearing on the first snap so I can follow him the whole game. So the Eagles went 12 personnel 56% of the time. Shout 56%. out, Mike. That's a lot, Mike Rowe, listener of the podcast. All three touchdowns, Ben. You want to tell them what personnel it came from? I think they can figure it out by now. It all came from 12 personnel, and it all, mostly, I think every single one of them, I might be wrong, every single one of them came with 12 tight ends into the boundary, which is something that, uh, not 12 double tight ends, wing. the two tight ends of 12. Yeah, yeah so the two in the, into the boundary, and yeah, we call it double wing. I've seen it called wing offset. I've seen it called YY sets. I don't really know what the Eagles call it, to be very frank with you, but Doesn't double matter. wing. Or double wing offset, which is also what they uh, they trapped very frequently out of that yes. as well. If you see the Eagles in shotgun, there's two tight ends on the line. <laughs> One of them is back, obviously. They're on the same side. And they're lined up into the short area of the field. Philadelphia's either got a run play dialed up or a shot play dialed up. Right. Sometimes they're going to package like a bubble or an RPO with the run play. That doesn't count. I wasn't wrong. Um, so it's either like a run package for you. <laughs> Or it's a shot play. And that, that double wing offset is something I'll be writing about for Bleeding Green this week. Uh, it's super effective nice. for them. And it was super effective in the red zone. Listen, I can't tell you enough. If you if you have Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey to the outside, you know, into the field, the wide area of the field, and you have those two tight ends, both of them are great receivers, in that area of the field, just think about it as a defense. Like, you have good space players and man beaters in a lot of space. And then you have big, powerful bodies who can run and catch in very tight quarters. Yeah. It's very hard to figure out what, like, are you going to run man and just leave yeah. Alshon and, and Nelly and man all day long? Okay, if you can do it, go for it. Are you going to run zone 
and you're going to leave Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz matched up against a very small boundary corner, your weak side backer, and then a safety. You're rocking a hard place. That that sort of a situation is so stressful for teams. Philadelphia has been using it for weeks. It's been very effective, especially running the football out of it. It's a big reason of the resurgence of the run game. Very effective in the red zone on zone concepts this time. That 12 personnel and specifically, listen, when you're watching with your friends, they're like, oh, dude, they're in double wing to the boundary. Like, what? They're like, oh, you fucking idiots. Let me tell you about why this is so effective. So there you go. That's your talking point for this week against the Texans. I love it. So, Ben, that's going to do it for this coach's film review. Good show, man. Listen, every show is a, is a good show to be, be alive. alive. <laughs> ben. That's... As I was saying that, I hated myself. As I was saying, I was like, I suck on the worst. I need you to recover and say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on Bleeding Green Nation Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. The Eagles' season is alive and well 75% of the way. Uh, and so we appreciate you sweating out the final weeks with us here. It's the last couple weeks of the regular season, and we do hope if you have enjoyed us for this whole regular season, uh, go ahead and leave a rating, leave a review. If you have a Twitter, hit us up on Twitter. We've really been enjoying um, a few people who've, who've reached out, as we said, uh, like, you know, uh, some some really cool names who've shared their love of the podcast, but mostly the guys who've been listening to it for, for years and who've been enjoying it and learning a lot from it. We'd love to hear that from you. That helps us do a better job. It helps us continue to do whatever it is that you've enjoyed. So leave a rating, leave a review, hit us up on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's on Twitter at Michael Kiss NFL. That's K-I-S-T. I asked for ratings and reviews, and I did get ratings and reviews. We are at 589 for ratings, Mike. We are nearing that 600 number, so please power us the rest of the way there. Hey, get us to 690 if you're really feeling that. I think that'd be a nice rating number as well. If you get us to that benchmark, then we will start reading some uh, more of the new uh, written reviews that are out there because there are some real crackers, man. <laughs> it's yes. amazing. I, listen, and another one, I was called Squeaky. So really, <laughs> the whole rodent Ben theme is really continuing. And we will be sussing that out more the next time we read some reviews. Um, but until then, the Houston Texans preview shows will be rolling down the mountain. You should be expecting a new show pretty much daily at this point as we approach the game. We'll get you prepped for that one. More talking points and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you guys tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. You listened to, I was talking, and you made you, you listened to the wrap-up. Yes, I, I heard the whole thing. Are you proud oh of me? Oh my gosh, thanks, Dad. It's I've been crazy. working on it. It happened by total accident. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that you had nothing else to work on. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was... Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Philly's history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot. 
because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.